Whoa, man, we got new music because this is a bonus episode. Me reading stuff. Robin O'Neill. This is from an anonymous royalty-free artist. This song is called Terrible Manners. It's a cool 65 degrees here in LA. Wednesday, June 5th. Welcome to June, everybody. I haven't talked to you since June, have I? This song's kind of annoying, uh, but I like it. Um, June for me is, uh, I'm calling it just June. Now, some of you who've been listening a while know that I've always had monastic May. Uh, monastic May basically for me means getting off the internet. Now, I'll read articles, uh, article. I'll read the news. Uh, I'll look at some news. I will look at, you know, crochet tutorials or whatever. You know, I'll look things up or I'll maybe have to shop online for something. But I, what I'm talking about is social media, the dreaded, horrible, maniacal land out there called social media. So I will not be opening up my Instagram. I won't be opening up my Twitter. I won't be opening up any of that. Uh, it's all bad news anyway. I don't care what anyone says. You can back it up all you want, but I'm, I'm you know... You know, again, I read Jaron Lanier's book, which I have right here. Let me grab it, actually. One second. Here, I'm still talking to you. I'm here. Jaron Lanier's 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. I am saying Jaron with an N. Um, I'll read you the, the uh, chapters. You are losing your free will. Uh, quitting social media is the most finely targeted way to resist the insanity of our times. Social media is making you into an asshole. <laughs> and he talks, he talks about very basic things like even if you open up, in fact, I have this one person who I don't even know, but, but people I know know this person. And all I can tell you is that every time I open up Instagram in the uh, suggested views or whatever, like go to this, or I don't know any of the terminology. It shows this person's face because every single day this human being takes a selfie trying to look cooler and hotter than the last one. And it, you know, good for this person. If that's what they want to do, fine. I actually have a real issue with obsessive selfie taking. I think, you know, I do think it's vanity. I've seen a New York Times article that says it's not, it's empowering. I'm sorry, I think you zoom way out, way out of this time period, way out of this planet, and if you're taking photos of your face every fucking day and trying to look good, I, I, how is that not vanity? I just, I do not understand it. Anyway, but it turns me into an asshole in that I'm having to think about these things. Like we're always, it's just human nature to be like, is this like me? Is this like me? Or is this not like me? Is this something I would do? Do I like this? Do I not like this? Whereas if you're not on there all the time, you're looking around, you're like right now, I'm looking at my music. I'm looking at my off ball. For further reference, I'll put a link in the description what my off ball is. I'm looking like, oh man, my shoulder's gonna hurt. There's my heating pad. Should I warm this up in the microwave and put it on? I'm seeing this new garbage bag full of yarn I got. Sorry about my uh, text messages here. Um, and oh, I'm thinking about, God, I'd love to warm this coffee up. I've already been going at it a while. I need some more. To me, these are, these are not asshole thoughts. This is all me just being productive, right? Or being curious. Like I see 
David Markson's Reader's Block right in front of me, and I'd like to read that again. Um, I see this ceramic ball that my friend Rolando Shaw, Rolando Shaw made and traded with me back in college, and I'm thinking about him like, man, he was such a great artist. I wonder what he's making right now. Whereas if I'm on Instagram, I'm thinking... This person is out of their minds. Uh, I'm out of my minds. I'm sad because I didn't get enough likes. I want to post another one so that I can get more likes. It's just this, oh, and by the way, the new Instagram algorithm is all about keeping you on Instagram longer. So just FYI, if you, I, I couldn't believe that I witnessed many artists post a post on their Instagram feed that said, Hey, if you could just please, it, it was not a piece of art. It wasn't their cute, hot face. It was a post that said, sorry, I'm all worked up right now. I didn't mean to be worked up. But anyway, it said, please comment and like this so that I can be back on your algorithm or whatever. Meaning, because it is true, if there's no interactivity going on and if you yourself as an Instagram user aren't engaging with others enough, then your own posts go further to the bottom and people are less likely to see it go to the top, even more than ever with the new algorithm that was launched this month. So basically, if you read the right articles about this, the most realistic ones, not the ones that are like, here's how you can get uh, get around the new algorithm. Make sure people still see your post. And by the way, it did work because... Um, during my last week of my show, I was in a mad dash to try to, embarrassingly enough, to get more people to go see my show. And it worked a little bit. Like, I did have a lot of friends who were like, oh, I'm so glad you posted that. Or, hey, I just saw your show. I just saw it. Or, oh, shit, it's almost over. I'm heading out. So it kind of worked because it's all I wanted is more people to see it. But it was also embarrassing. And it was also during the week that the algorithm launched and I can tell you I got like half the likes on all those posts maybe people were just sick of me but I don't think so I could tell less people were viewing and um I wasn't I just figured well just backing me up on my biggest instinct which is everybody hates everything I do so uh that's all it is and people hate these pieces of art or people hate my new drawings whatever um I'm not happy about it but I'm trying to get around it anyway all I'm saying is be careful out there. Here's another thing. Social media is undermining the truth. Social media is making what you say meaningless. Social media is destroying your capacity for empathy. That's the most important one. I've also read from Sherry Turkle's book, books um, on here. Look up Sherry Turkle and her discoveries on empathy and social media. Anyway, argument seven in Jaren's book, social media is making you unhappy. Argument eight, social media doesn't want you to have an economic dignity have economic dignity. And that's a really important one for any business owner. Um, social media is making politics impossible. I think we've learned that. And the last one is social media hates your soul. Now, these are meant to be very bold and, you know, like uh, severe. But when you really read these, you'll I don't know. This is a very good book um, in a lot of different ways, and it may upset a lot of people. For me to even talk about this, I'm sure I'm going to be making you mad, but that's because we're all obsessed with it, and we're all addicted. And I swear to God, when you look out into the world at people, if you don't think that being on smartphones is an epidemic, um, 
then you're not looking enough. So I I really am all, almost always off of my phone when I'm out in the world. And I do not look at my phone when I'm at dinner or lunch with people unless they're like hey, begging me to see some photo I just talked about or something. Um, I don't have it on the table. It, you know, you, they, Sherry Turkle's done research on it to where even a cell phone face down on the landscape of a dinner table makes conversations that much less wonderful and makes people feel less heard. So even if you're not touching it, so I've done this just naturally because I've all, here, here's the deal with me. I grew up in a family. We all hate phones. I've hated phones since the beginning of time. I hate the sound of a ringing phone. I hate putting phones to my face. I hate the idea that people are calling me. I hate the idea that I need to call somebody back. I mean, I'm very worked up about phones. And it's nine minutes in. Let me just... <laughs> Long story short, do you see why I need monastic June? I'm going to call it just June because I wanted it to have a J word. But it's basically monastic June again. And I... I'm so excited to just be, who knows, maybe it'll be monastic life because, God, I would love, I would love that in so many ways. But then you just sit here thinking like, what the hell? I mean, I have a, I'm a self-employed person with a business that I need to somehow promote and I'm not good at doing that anyway. I mean, I, I anyway, all right, let me take some coffee <laughs> as if it's an IV and I'll get right back to you. Hi, I'm back. Okay, so sorry if I got worked up. I didn't plan on getting worked up. I was just kind of feeling talkative. I've got a million things I need to be doing, but I felt like giving a little bonus episode out there into the world. What I'm going to be reading to you, and then I'll let you go, is from a an art book. Uh, one of my favorite artists, and most artists' favorite artists, Philip Gustin. This is Philip Gustin and the Poets. Um, God, it's so heavy, it's hard for me to tell you. It's um, a Hauser and Worth publication. And um, this was an exhibition that was, I think it was in Italy. Now I'm forgetting. I think it was in Venice somewhere. Let's see. Let me, let me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was in 2015. And I'm pretty sure it was the Venice Biennale. And for, I'm just going to read you a little something that's very inspiring to me. Uh, um, you know, a lot of you guys who are artists know that Philip Gustin's writings and interviews and um, well, writer, writings and interviews are very, I don't know how to describe it. They're very fortifying and galvanizing for, for the way that I work anyway. And I, and a lot of other artists who I love and hold dear all, we all love him. I, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't love him and the way he handled being an artist, but this is from, uh, Cosme di Baragnano, <laughs> Baragnano? Berignano wrote this essay for the book, um, and basically the the exhibition was set up with uh, five different poets in mind, poets that Gustin loved. You know, Gustin was very um, involved in many writers' lives, and they were in his as well. So he was... Um, yeah, I mean, he was with artists too, but he seemed to have a particular affinity for writers and poets. So anyway, and then there were different selections of uh, Gustin's work that were relating to the different artists. I mean, I mean, writers. So very interesting exhibition. T.S. Eliot was one of them. Wallace Stevens was one of them. I can't remember who else right now, but uh, William Butter, but William Butter Yeats. 
That's uh, William Butler Yeats' um, comedian cousin. So anyway, here in this book, the writer is describing the studio of Gustin at a certain point, and there are some images um, of some art he loves, and then a passage from a letter written by Charles Dickens, which Gustin had copied in all capital letters in India ink and divided as indicated here. And here is the quote, which he's basically turned into a poem with the dividing lines. I'll do my best to kind of read it naturally, but if I read it where he's divided it, which was probably just based on whatever piece of paper he was writing it down on, um, it could have been his own, you know, way of turning it into a poem. But anyway, I'm going to read it the way I see it. I hold my inventive capacity on the stern condition that it must master my whole life, often have complete possession of me, make its own demands on me, and sometimes for months together put everything else away from me. Whoever is devoted to an art must be content to deliver himself wholly up to it and to find his recompense in it. Um, and then it goes on to say, this passage is also a manifesto, but not one of references and forebearers. Rather, than, rather, it is a defense of the artist's privacy, a protection of his privacy, sorry, a protection of his personal time. Artist privacy, protection of his personal time. All of this goes back into what I was talking about, it being just June and monastic may and monastic whatever in any way possible artists writers whatever we all need to find we all need to be protective of our private time i believe accountants do too i believe mothers and fathers do um i mean who knows maybe i'm just speaking for me though i mean i happen to need a lot of private time i happen to need a lot of time to just sit with myself i always have but I do, I don't know. I mean, you guys get back to me. I have no idea. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some people don't need it at all and it doesn't serve people well. That is, that's a goal of mine actually is to stop thinking what I need is what everybody else needs. Now, for the most part, I certainly don't think that. Does anybody need to be obsessed with Kleenex the way I do? No, that's a weird thing that I have. Does everybody need to hate the feel of terracotta like I do? No, that's also bizarre. Um... What else do I do? You know, like, whatever. I am all for people being into whatever they're into. And if, if it is avoiding alone time, that is probably really good for certain people, honestly. Um, for me, it's a necessity. And so anyway, this little passage from this book, uh, Philip Gustin and the Poets, which I will put a link in the description of this podcast so you'll know where to buy it. Um, it meant a lot to me. In fact, there's a lot in this book that meant a lot to me. And this book got me so excited. For some reason, as I was reading the essay, I was, which by the way, rarely do essays about art influence me in any way at all. Um, but for some reason, this essay just kept bombarding me with new ideas about the way I'm crocheting things. So I had about a million ideas for basically what will be called tapestries. I'm making more and more crocheted drawings, so to speak. 
And um, this book really, it was weird. I was reading it late at night in bed and I had to get up and like take notes, take, uh, you know, physical notes on the images that were popping in my head. I'm working on one today. So that's getting exciting. Anyway, you guys, I love you. Thank you so much. I see someone gave me my lowest review ever on iTunes, but they didn't have the balls to write what was wrong with my podcast. It was just like, oh, great. I got a three-star review. The only three-star review I've ever gotten. I've gotten all five-star reviews except that one four-star review and now the three-star review. Um, and that, I'll, I'm not going to lie. It made me sad. I, I don't know how to describe it other than it made me sad. Um, I'm deeply flawed, everybody. And I'm particularly flawed lately. I'll be honest with you. I just am. I've got a lot of uh, stuff on my mind and a lot of it's negative, and I know that that's not good, and hopefully I'll crawl out of this, and I won't care that somebody gave me a bad review, um, but until then, right now, I'm a little bit of a raw nerve, so look out, everybody. Okay, listen, you guys are great. You're wonderful. I hope everything in your life is going well. I hope you're finding time with your family. I hope you're finding time to pet your animals, take walks, drink a lot of water. That's all for now. I love you guys. Take it easy. Take good care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Also, sorry this episode's so negative. I don't know what's... I just am being me, but I really am sorry. It's not cool. Um, At least I recognize that. I'm just... uh, Anyway, I'm sorry. 